This is Digital Communicators, the comms focus show for the tech sector. Hello and welcome to Babel's Digital Communicators podcast. My name's Simon Coughlin. I'm a director here at Babel. Today's episode is the latest in our series of podcasts discussing the trends for 2024 and also looking back at what was hot in the world of technology in 2023. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Christina Trambota. Christina is a technology industry leader with a passion for commerce and connectivity. She has more than 20 years of experience working with early stage startups and large enterprises, including Meta, Visa, Motorola, to name a few, helping brands enhance their product development and marketing efforts. She has been recognized by various channels and events as a top B2B influencer and who's who in fintech. And when she's not building and scaling companies and communities, she enjoys teaching and mentoring tomorrow's leaders. Christina, welcome to the Babel podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you kick off by talking about your career to date, what you're up to at the moment, and outline your main passions and interests in the world of technology? Sure. It's quite a, a variety of a story. I started my career actually in telecom industry, moving into mobility as things evolved, then over into ad tech, then fintech, like in the world of payments, from payment networks to startups and commerce. And so my journey, it's been really diversified, actually, from large Fortune 50 corporations to a number of scrappy startups, honestly, and diversified the passions and interests along the ways. One common theme along a lot of these different opportunities and experiences has actually been how they've been focused in the areas of product development and marketing with a mixture of audiences, a lot of different international regions, as well as the mixture of outcomes, different times, different trends, always evolving, of course. And with like where my passions actually lie, it's really in things that can scale because I've started with a foundation in my earlier days in my career working in mega corporations where you see what is scale? What is this? And that's the way everything was. However, honestly, now about half of my career has been in early startups. And when you're in an early stage organization, bringing things to scale and actually understanding how can we take this out to the masses, that is a huge passion of mine. And so it enables me to have ongoing learning as well as always evolving with different opportunities out there, different results, different challenges, and different ways to actually make things work globally. Because it's not only here in the US where I'm based, but I have worked a lot of international markets and different regions. Every place has its unique twist, turn, and I would say technique for success. Great. And when it comes to the last 12 months, what's really excited you in the world of technology? Yeah, the last 12 months, I think we all know it's been, it was quite a year, right? When you look at it, I would say the greatest excitement for me has actually been coming in scaling because I've been working, selling and scaling a, a number of different environments. And 2023 has been a time of a lot of change from watching and being impacted by the increase in interest rates to economic corrections, especially when you look at some of the industries I've worked in, they have had a lot of impact. And I would say anyone in anything related to funding and startup community, they are aware of that, especially watching how these organizations and their products, operations, and everyone can sell and actually still succeed. There are still a great number of opportunities that they can bring in revenue, refine margins, focus on what is going to bring in that improvement. 
And personally, I see the excitement coming in from innovation, whether it's finding that way to actually accelerate and grow with clients, whether it's a new channel or a new product or making some sort of new pivot. Maybe they're going into a new category or a new definition that they're trying to bring out in the market. And this is especially true when you really don't have full product market fit. So a lot of extra time might be required, but you don't always have it when you're in these smaller organizations. Clearly when you're in a smaller private organization, you only have finite resources. So being efficient and trying to drive it to scale is really important. As part of the series, I've been asking people for their views on the big topic of 2023, artificial intelligence. Do you think that AI has been overhyped in recent months? I would say it is definitely at the top of hype or in its peak of hype cycle, as people like to refer to where hype is and how they define it. I definitely think it's up there. I think it's overhyped in ways where people have seen it as completely magical. I also think it's been overhyped when it has actually been used as just a sales term, where instead it's actually almost like a color where someone is using it to paint it on their business or their brand or their products. However, I would say, let's look at this from a path of opportunity because it really can lead to some new channels some new customers for any business out there, as well as new ways to actually serve them. Because AI actually has been around for years now. What's newer in the last year or so might be generative AI and how it's exploded, scaled out, being used across many more organizations and layers of ecosystems that people thought might never be possible. However, AI itself, it's actually been used for many years and actually by a lot of the oldest industries that are out there. I think of those that are the foundations of my career, such as communications and commerce and payments. And when you think of that, AI has been in existence and part of that for quite some time. But now what we're noticing, it's bringing in enhancements to, honestly, every software platform that you see it continuing to change. And I think it's going to continue in a way where we're noticing its impact. And not only at the enterprise and business level, but down at the consumer level. We'll continue to notice how it's impacting our experiences as well as elevating the expectations. Because it's bringing a change to what is status quo, what do people really see? And optimistically, we're gonna drive some innovation. And a lot of them are out there, but uh, I'm gonna continue following it and pretty optimistic of where it can lead. Completely agree, I think. There is lots of optimism to be had around AI and its potential for enhancing enterprise productivity. Do you think in terms of timescale, we will now see some more tangible benefits of AI in the enterprise in the coming months? Yes, definitely. We're going to see it in the coming months, although in some industries, I would provide the caveat that it might take a little bit longer. And that is because we have to remember different markets different ecosystems do have rules and regulations that they actually have to operate with. And when you have those, this AI is actually enabling them to accelerate their decision-making, empowering people from enabling education, making it even more accessible than it was before. And I'm actually optimistic that learning and understanding will help accelerate things such as decisions and things, whether it's law, policy, broader business decisions, even in topics going into things like healthcare, where it can actually help people not only learn, better understand, and better diagnose something, 
but the human experts, they're still required because although the AI is actually going to accelerate it, I think those who have that expertise, they know where those fine lines are. They know what is going to be approved or accepted in these ecosystems and what it will actually take to drive it forward, whether it's the data, the insights, or the acceleration overall. And alongside the obvious benefits of AI, we've seen a lot of discussion around regulation, ethics, and I know that you've written previously about the topic of responsible AI. How do you define this responsibility? And in your view, how can enterprises ensure that they act responsibly in its use? Great question. And yes, it's a passion point because there is that line of what is responsible use. I would say responsible AI is summarized in a few points. Where is the data actually from? How is it actually selected? And when you look at this in the environment that you're operating in, is there a specific rule, regulation, or multiple ones that you actually have to know how to apply and you must actually operate within? And when you're looking in this information, how can that impact your next decision? Because when you're utilizing AI, if you want to be a responsible business leader, you want to understand where are the right boundaries and apply it in the right areas where it is appropriate for your industry, for your region, for the rules you work with. I think we all have worked in a variety of environments and those who've worked with a number of different regions and industries especially will align with this because AI, it's also linking into the access. Where is this data actually coming from? How is the information going to be shared? And if so, if it is actually being used, both the information as well as the AI side, is there a disclosure that needs to take place? If you need to share that in the results, I think some of this is already coming up in a manner where we're noticing this in guidelines. Sometimes it's maybe a nice to have, not necessarily a must have. We also see this further developing where some are going to mandate this because if they do not show this in the result or in the output of a specific tool or a platform, many will actually bring up more questions. So I think those are great examples of being responsible as well as reviewing the information. And if you are the one actually who owns the data and you're managing this data and information, make sure you have the right guardrails in place. They're called a number of things depending on your industry. We're noticing those advancements globally as well, but truly, Time will tell. Time is going to tell us what is going to be that right balance of where is the control, where is communication on what is being used, who's supplying the information, and where all of those boundaries actually are. I think the way this is developing in 2024, we're noticing that it's going to be very popular. More techniques are coming in. We're going to see this coming down and impacting more people even at ground level, not just high-level organization. But the data, it's the most valuable asset out there. And so we have to always remember, how is it having an impact? Where can we drive innovation? But driving more with it, we need to make sure that you have the right rules and considerations in place because it's still in the early stages. There's a great opportunity out there, but we need to make sure we're being responsible and ethical when we make the business decisions and whether it's ecosystem or at the enterprise. And outside of AI, what are your top tips for the tech that's going to be most influential in the B2B world this year? Ah, throwing a curveball, not just in AI, so even broader? Even broader. Okay, yeah. In B2B, I do think, of course, AI is going to be underlying across a lot of them. But let's take this back a level. 
I would say, first of all, let's start with what I was just discussing on the data level. I think that collaboration and information, that's going to come top of mind. And so anyone working in that, whether you want to look at it as big data or deeper in the data space, understanding that is going to be elevated. Innovation, I think the acceleration and pace of it is going to go crazy in the upcoming year because they're due to increased automation, whether you look at it from AI, LLMs, everything that is possible now that is going out there in the last year, those advancements are going to bring and enable more power and more human-like experiences. Another one would be the preference, because I think looking at it from an experience perspective, all of us are consumers out there. We want to prioritize what is right for us and what is right at a broader ecosystem and environment level. I do think that things on the environmental impact perspective, whether you want to look at it as ESG, social responsibility, environmental impact, I think that's going to be expected, not optional. And that's especially true on a global basis. But we'll see it accelerate faster in some markets more than others. But my favorite one I'd love to throw in there would actually be on the education side. And as someone who has been an educator for many years, teaching subjects from marketing, digital innovation or product, I think we're at a point where the costs are going to continue to decrease and we'll see increased access to it and more real world experiences such as human relationships, human experience. How does it actually work and apply for all of us out there? Understanding those customers, that is going to be important for anyone to succeed. And I think education is something that is underlying across all of that. And prioritizing it will help everyone be successful at the end. Another topic which I know is very close to your heart and is very important to us here at Babel is the topic of global warming and the potential for technology to reduce the impacts of climate change. Christina, in your view, what types of technology do you believe have particular potential in this area? For sure. I see it's a a number of different areas where tech can make an impact. And I think I'm going to answer a little more at a macro level because this can go across a number of technologies as well as industries and ecosystems where it can make that environmental impact. First of all, would just be efficiency. Understand What are our natural resources and everything we're working with in these different areas and the environmental impact associated from basic resources such as air, water, to the pollution and how broader tech, our broader ecosystems, all of us as consumers and participants, how can we impact that? And then I would say across companies and industries, it can go from technologies or the techniques they even operate within. It doesn't necessarily have to be their actual product that you think of when you think of their brand or business, because they can have an impact in a number of manners from looking at it in terms of how are they reporting on their business? How are they being responsible for their results? Are they doing this in a manner where they are manufacturing products? Is it something where they're actually creating a recycling program or something like that? It doesn't always have to be directly in their product or in their business. It could be in the use case where they want to make the use case even longer for a product, where in the past, maybe they were incentivizing it to be a shorter lifespan. So there's a variety out there. I personally have some favorites, but um, curious what you're thinking. Any other ideas or 
specific areas of focus that you all work with? That's a really good question, Christina. We're working with a lot of different companies in the green tech space. For example, in the past couple of years, we've been working with a company called GenCell that are based in Israel, who are focused on the potential for hydrogen to provide an alternative source of fuel. So that's just one example of the range of green tech companies that we work with. But yeah, we're particularly excited about the potential for, for technology to to really help in efforts to, to, to reduce climate change. So I think as in the last decade or so, I think 2024 will be a massive year for climate tech. I agree. And I think there's things that we all relate to, like I was sharing air, water, carbon capture, things like that, that a consumer can impact with their day-to-day -day actions and spending habits. And if we all work together, and if we are not looking for it already, I do think the future generations will gradually be demanding more of these options because it's only going to be increasing in terms of the impact and we will all notice it. Finally, if listeners want to find out more about your work, want to get in touch, where should they go to? Yes, I would encourage everyone to find me on the social channels. That's the easiest path. So I'm very active on LinkedIn as my primary channel. And I'm still as well on the channel now known as X, previously known as Twitter. So I love to engage with the audiences out there from thought leaders to everyone participating and contributing. So reach out and I'd be glad to connect. Thank you for your time, Christina. And hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. It was great to be on your channel today. For more information about Babel and other episodes of this podcast, head to www.babelpr.com forward slash podcasts.